ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome into another edition of Nosebleeds. Uh, All-Star break almost upon us coming up in a few days. Uh, I get to still talk about some local teams. A lot of stuff always going on local teams. Before we get into all that, joined by Evan Harkin, Will Jing. Guys, how we doing? Uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, I'm doing honestly really good. I mean, summer's well underway. Um, the unfortunate thing is I have a summer class that just started, so my schedule's getting a little busier. But um, other than that, I mean, it's it's a nice break from school as usual. And um, hopefully this last two months of the summer doesn't feel too short because um, I'm really enjoying it. It's been flying by so far. Yeah, definitely enjoying the summer as well. Enjoying the MLB season as well, definitely. Uh, getting close to the All-Star game, exciting time, close to the trade deadline. A couple big spots in the world of sports right now. I mean, yeah, Will, you're talking about the summer going fast. It is kind of crazy to think about All-Star breaks nearly upon us. I think that's kind of like the the halfway benchmark when we look at the MLB season. Like, oh, we're, we're really kind of getting close towards trade deadline and the postseason pushes, all that stuff, so. I'm Lou Orlando. Let's get through it. Uh, we'll start with the local teams, and right, we always break down the local teams. And I think we'll start with the least fun conversation. That's going to be the Yankees, and the least fun aspect of what we're going to talk about with the Yankees. Unfortunately, we have to talk about it. Jimmy Cordero suspended the rest of the season, violated the MLB's domestic violence policy. Uh, not much to say in terms of the actual act. It's abhorrent. You hate to see it completely support MLB's decision and you just hope that he, he can get help and whatever. I think the more the more interesting conversation now with this is this is now the third Yankee, I'd say the last eight years to have stuff like this, right? Domingo Ramon had the domestic violence issue at CC Sabathia's gala and then the Yankees traded for Aroldis Chapman three weeks after he was accused of domestic violence. I think that's really the only reason that they were able to get one of the best pitchers in baseball, best closers in baseball at a discount. They traded for three weeks after that came out. So it's the third guy in really the last eight years to kind of have stuff like this. It's a tough look for the franchise. And I think where my mind goes is, you know, they can't make a decision on him until the end of the year by rule, right? He's off the 40-man roster, but they can't release him. They can't DFA him until the suspension is over. So that will be an end-of-the-year thing. But I think I'm looking at it as, I'd kind of like to see them make a little bit of a statement considering some of the past history and cut ties with this guy. I think that, um, I mean, also just in addition to that, it it's hard for the Yankees just because they're always dealing with like injuries and such. And like when you have this to add on to it, you know, uh, adding on to the fact that, you know, um, Carlos Rodon is not around. Right. So, and he's, you know, just going to be coming back. So, um, just the fact that they're they're starting pitching staff, you know, it's not super deep. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was a time when they were going to Clark Schmidt to you know to start games. So just to have this is, I just feel like it's really something that you don't want to see if you're the Yankees because now you got to find someone else to you know fill in his spot on the pitching staff. And you know, it's just it, I don't think it's you know something that the Yankees specifically, it you know they're at fault for. You know the fact that they have three they had three pitchers that 
you know, um, you know, obviously Chapman, that was, you know, uh, right before he joined the Yankees, but for uh, Domingo Herman and uh, you know, Jimmy Cordero, you know, it's just unfortunate that someone on their team decided to go out and do something like that. Yeah, 100%. Lou, I think you hit it right on the nose saying that the Yankees should make a statement out of him. Um, I'm glad the MLB made a statement suspending him right away for an entire season. I'm glad there was no lack, lackadaisical miss in that suspension. And I think that the Yankees really need to take a look at some of these guys they're putting, especially on the pitching staff. It definitely looks bad for the staff, but the Yankees as a whole to have all these guys just in the pitching staff alone doing these terrible acts. And I think they should definitely let go of Jimmy Cordero and send a message to any future Yankees or current Yankees that they're not going to keep taking the nonsense they have been. Right. I, I think the tough part of the conversation is, you know, whether or not you believe in second chances. And I, you know, I will say, I think I get it a little bit more with Domingo, right? Cause that was a guy that came up in your system. And when we talk about developing pitchers or just developing young talent players, part of that is developing character. I think that goes for any sport, right? Sometimes we're getting these guys before they're even 18. And you have to develop their character. You're trying to get them to be good people in society. And so I think there might be a little bit more responsibility when it comes to Herman. Again, that's a guy that came up through their system that it might be on them a little bit more to see, hey, can we rehabilitate this guy? Can we get him the help that he needs? Jamie Cordero did not come up through the Yankees season. He signed this free agent as a 32-year-old reliever. I'm not saying that you know if he doesn't get the help that he needs, if he makes changes and becomes a better person. I'm not going to say that he can't do that, that he he then might not deserve a second chance. Does it have to be with the Yankees, especially considering what we just talked about? I mean, uh, you know, given what you just said, it, it might be, you know, good for the Yankees culture to, um, to, to get rid of him. Um, ultimately, yeah, that's obviously, I feel though, that's something that us on the, the outside, it's not as easy to say because we're not in that locker room. We don't know how this, how this impacts the, you know, the, the, the team chemistry and whatnot. And if this is something that, you know, goes around the locker room as something that's just, that's just like demoralizing and things like that, you know, to have someone go out because of something, you know, a dumb act like this, then, I mean, I think it, it's ultimately in the team's best interest to, to, to release him. But, you know, on the other hand, if, you know, the team is, you know, rallying and saying that, you know, he can come back and be better, then they, they should consider probably the the alternative. So, I mean, to me, it's not really something that I I feel like I can say from the outside of the, of the locker room. as like the team should do this. I think that's just a decision that ultimately should come internally from how the team feels. Yeah, I, I agree with your first point, Will, saying that it really affects how the Yankees look from the outside. I think Jimmy Cordero himself should be allowed to have a second chance, but I, I feel like the Yankees should really make that a not with the Yankees deal. Uh, I feel like, you know, Lou, you brought up our oldest Chapman, bringing him right in after that happened, giving Domingo Herman a second chance, and it just keeps happening and keeps happening and continues to look worse on the Yankees if they keep bringing these guys back. And, you know, God forbid he does it again or anything like that happened again, it would look even worse. So I think it's it's definitely time for the Yankees to really put a foot down and get rid of Jimmy Cordero after this. It's something we'll see in the offseason once the suspension is over what ruling they end up making uh in terms of just talking about the yankees from a baseball perspective which is usually what we're we're here to do uh i think i was a little bit surprised this week yankees come off a weekend where they lose a series to the st louis cardinals who are one of the worst teams in baseball and before that they weren't able to sweep the oakland A's, and you kind of looked at that stretch as 
hey, get fat off of two last place teams. They're not able to do that. And then they come into a four game series against the Orioles, third best team in baseball. They win the first two games. They drop last night's game six to three. Bullpen uncharacteristically lets up six runs after Randy Vasquez, who's been, I, we could talk about Randy Vasquez. This is now his third spot start of the year, his third major league start. And he's been almost flawless. I think we can get into that, but. I just sometimes I just don't get baseball and I don't I don't know how to to read this Yankees team because man the record it looks way better than it feels and you kind of keep having to pinch yourself and going the the record itself it's it's a lot better than what this entire thing feels like I saw a stat yesterday the Yankees have the fourth best record against teams above 500 and it just doesn't feel that way at all but they go in again against Orioles have the third best record in baseball. They're in a spot today to win this series and get within two games of second place in the AL East. And I just have no idea what to think. Yeah, I mean, I think that this Yankees team, it, it's kind of like their their usual pattern. I mean, I said this before, you know, a couple of times on, on one-on-one. I mean, you just look at, you know, their past, you know, 10 or so games. It's just up and down and all over the place. I mean, you mentioned that um, they're, they had the fourth best record against above 500 teams. I think they're like one game below 500 against the Tampa Bay Rays, which is kind of insane when you look at this team. But um, I think it's just something where, I mean, it's, it's better than you expect without judge, especially, you know what I'm saying? Like going, you know, and winning two out of three against the Orioles so far. But I think that, you know, even without judge, they're going to have to really step it up because if one, if the absence of one player, even if it's your best player is, you know, um, you're and you're still not, you know, playing at, at a championship level or or close to it. I feel, I feel like that's going to be a problem down the line because you see that, you know, Judge has gone and they're still surviving, but they're not thriving like Yankee fans want them to. Right. Yeah, I think the Orioles are definitely the head of the snake that the Yankees needed to attack. I'm glad they already were able to take two games. Hopefully, can take three games and be, you know, two or three games behind the Orioles coming out of all of this. That would be a huge spot. But I really think the pitching staff has been something the Yankees were able to lean on the whole season. Uh, they're top five, the whole pitching staff, up and down in ERA, which is a crazy stat, considering no Carlos Rodon, no Jonathan Loisica, no Nestor Cortez recently. Some huge names are going to be coming back for this pitching staff that's already been overperforming for what it started with at the beginning of the season. And it seems to me like these bats are starting to come to life a little bit in these recent games. You know, Anthony Volpe completely turning around his season recently has been probably the main part of it. But seeing a little small ball was great <clears throat> as a Yankee fan as well. You're able to see um, Kyle Higashioka lay down a bunt and send runners from first and second to second and third, which led to a uh, pass ball scored by Isaiah Kanafalefa in a huge spot in the Yankee game. And I think if they can continue to put runners on base, good thing will happen for these Yankees, especially once Aaron Judge comes back. You know, you hit on a, a lot of things that are good there. First, I think when you talk about the pitching, the bullpen gets its flowers, and rightfully so. They've been the best bullpen in baseball. I'm not sure we've thrown enough love to the rotation. Obviously, you know, Garrett Cole has done Garrett Cole things, but you mentioned coming into this season, Rodon out and, and Sevy was out to start the year, and even Sevy's come back and hasn't looked great. That you think about where you were mentally with Domingo Herman and Clark Schmidt coming into the year. And Domingo Herman has since thrown a perfect game. And, you know, outside of a few bad starts, has been a very reliable pitcher, probably the second most reliable pitcher on this staff. And say what you will about Clark Schmidt, the numbers since May are pretty damn good. And you really can't be upset with 
Clark Schmidt, a guy that's not even supposed to be in this rotation, what he's done for, for you guys that, I mean, yeah, pitching has not been the issue at all. It, it's been the offense. You love to see Volpe hit like this. I mean, he's been a revelation. There's been a lot of jokes about ever since that chicken parm story came out, he hit, ate some chicken parm with Austin Wells. Austin Wells said, look at your stance and, and what you were doing in double A. It's way different than what you're doing now. He's closed off his stance. He's made the mechanical adjustments. And since then, hitting 354 with a 1.17 OPS. I mean, that's great. That's a complete turnaround from a guy that not too long ago was having legitimate conversations about like, hey, maybe it's it's better that we send this guy down, right? And uh, I still, I'm, I'm so impressed because it's not easy to make a mechanical change like that at the big league level, right? Because no matter what, you're still facing big league pitching as a rookie that I'm over the move of what Volpe's done. It's gotten to a point where he's one of the most fun guys on this team to watch and he didn't feel that way for a while and that kind of hurt because he's supposed to be the fun rookie, the spark plug. And for a really long stretch, he wasn't that. Yeah, I mean, I would say that this team um, has had a lot of like people that you wouldn't expect on paper stepping up. You know, like you mentioned, the starting rotation and the bullpen. Like if you go up and down like the, their list of pitchers, there's not too many that are like jumping out at you. You know, obviously there's Garrett Cole, people like that. But at the end of the day, you know, somebody like Volpe is not somebody, someone that jumps out at you. So when you when you have guys like that taking a step up, obviously that's going to be, you know, a big a big time thing, especially when you have your best player that's gone. You're going to need a lot of those people to step up in order to make this team a championship team and a team that, you know, makes a deep run into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, looking at this pitching staff before the season, I would think it would be the exact same. Uh, as last season where the Yankees were able to score seven, eight runs a game and lose those games where they were hitting like crazy and they couldn't pitch for anything. And it's the exact opposite, which kind of gives me a little bit more hope as the Yankees fans, you know, pitching is something you can really rely on if it's good. And then you can add a bat at the trade deadline. If you really have to, you're getting Aaron judge back. You know, some guys are going to continue to move out of these slumps. You got Harrison Bader back, a guy who pulled up in a huge clutch moment against the Orioles and I think the bats are really starting to come back around. And I have a lot of hope for where the Yankees are right now. I do want to ask you guys, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, Randy Vasquez. Now he made his third spot start, third start of his major league career. And now the numbers are a 117 ERA in 15.1 innings pitched and 10.2 consecutive scoreless innings. 24-year-old bat has been called upon sporadically. And every time he's been called upon, really has stepped up. I think even you think back to the the San Diego start that ended up, uh, I guess is technically his worst start because he allowed runs in it. He let up a bomb to Juan Soto. I, hey, it's going to happen. Uh, I've been so impressed with Randy Vasquez. The cutter looks good. He's got a legitimate pitch mix. I think earlier in the year when we were talking about Johnny Brito, one of the, the problems that he didn't really have a legitimate third pitch. It feels like this guy has a legitimate repertoire of pitches I get this rotation is going to be jammed, right? You have Rodon coming back that there might not be room for Vasquez. Are you guys itching to see him get a more solid spot in the rotation? Or are you fine with just, hey, whenever he's going to get called upon, it seems like he's going to be good? I mean, personally, I'm definitely, you know, itching to see more of him because, you know, you said three games. That's not a big sample size, obviously. You know, incredible stats and incredible play so far, but it's not a big sample size. But you know, again, you like you said, he's been called upon a few times and every single time he stepped up. So in my opinion, if, you know, you're Aaron Boone, you want to put this guy out more and, you know, whether, you know, he turns out 
to continue to play like that or whether he, you know, starts to slow down. Um, I think you make your decision based off of that, but I think it would be a big mistake not to put him out there more, you know, and, you know, especially, you know, you mentioned Clark Schmidt has had, you know, good days, but like, you know, 4.43 ERA, like that's something that you could look at, you know, putting somebody like Randy Vasquez in to replace and seeing if maybe that pans out better. Because um, if I'm looking at, you know, their um, opposing averages right now, hitters are hitting 167 against, you know, Vasquez and then 277 against Schmidt. And I think the 167 is one of the lowest right now in the Yankees uh, entire pitching staff. So, I mean, again, small sample size, but definitely I think that the Yankees should should experiment with that and try to see uh, more of what he can do. Yeah, I think definitely a very small sample size. And like you said, Lou, jamming him into the rotation would definitely have to be the play. He's not just going to find a spot in the rotation to fit in right now. And I don't think that's the best move for the Yankees right now, considering especially how good the pitching's been. I think he's done extremely well in the spot starts, and I think that's what they should continue to use him for this season. Maybe look towards putting him in the rotation next season, especially if they want to move a starting pitcher to a different team, get some prospects. But I think as far as this season, his his role is really spot starting. Yankees right now, nine games over 500. Kind of hinted at it when we first started talking about it. Like, it's weird to see that. I think it's weird because it doesn't feel that way, right? You there were, you mentioned that they they tied the game the other day on a wild pitch. And I I said to Brian Raybex, I was like, that was the only way that they were going to tie that game. So right, it doesn't feel like they're back necessarily. They've had to you had to have, have to rely on some some clutch hitting, some big moments from Harrison Bader. But I think right, you go into All Star break with momentum. You might have Yankee fans feeling as good as they felt in a little bit. I think let's switch over to. The other local team where I think their fans are are feeling pretty damn good right now after Francisco Alvarez hits a game-tying home run against the Diamondbacks down to two outs, and then they come back and they win that game 2-1. Mets are perfect in July, and it's crazy to say that after one of the worst months of baseball that Mets fans have had to endure in a long time. Worst record than the Oakland A's, didn't win a series, and now you look at July, they've won their first two series. It's funny how baseball works, man, because on paper – Right, nothing changes, but uh, hey, flipping over to July, it's a mental switch, and it seems like the Mets have fully embraced this mental switch. And all of a sudden, Mets have had momentum and good vibes that they really haven't had in a really long time. Yeah, I think it's important that they had this, um, especially just you know with with such a high payroll and you know a lot of you know big names on their team, you know Max Scherzer, Pete Alonso, Justin Berlander. It's it was really unexpected to see how they played in June. Just awful. Like I have like friends who are Mets fans who were just like, they were just like repeatedly checking back on games when we were hanging out and just like, just like you see like the sad face on them like all the time. So I think it's a good look for the Mets, but they have to keep this up because if you look before July, like again, you know, even the stretch right before it, it was just complete misery. So um, I think that they definitely need to turn that around. They're going to have a tough series against the Padres and the Dodgers to come up. But, you know, after that, White Sox, Red Sox gets a little easier. So hopefully, you know, they capitalize on that. Um, and then they play the Yankees again at the end of the month. So um, I think definitely they need to continue this this turnaround of sorts because that 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 June really did not look very good. No, yeah, I think that June was more representative of what the Mets have been than so far in July. I mean, Definitely took two series in the last two series from good teams, the Diamondback and the Giants, no slouch teams at all. 
But this Mets team, it's not like there's one guy like an Aaron Judge that can come back and flip something around. It's really their whole team underperforming in every area for the majority of the season besides coming to this point in July. I mean, not great pitching, uh, bad hitting, fielding, base running. It's really been underwhelming as a whole team. And I, I don't think this hot streak is going to continue for the Mets. I don't think it's the start of some turnaround. And I really think they should start looking past this season at the trade deadline being 11 games out of second place in their division, 16 games out of first. I don't really think this is a team that's going to make some tor- some type of stretch for the wild card towards the end. And I, I do hope that these recent streaks keep going, but I'm, I'm not optimistic for it. Well, so it's funny you say that because I, I was talking to Colin Lochran yesterday about Mets at the deadline and, you know, coming off that Steve Cohen presser and whatnot. And it, it just got me thinking, I was like, in my mind, for the Mets to really be in a spot to even play the deadline somewhat aggressively, I think you have to be at 500 or pretty close to 500 to feel like you can at least be a conservative buyer. And the tough thing about that is you entered this month 10 games under 500. So you need to go 17 and 6 in this month. And obviously, you've won your first four games of the month. You still have to go 13 and 6. And that's a big ask. And then I'd, I'd go one step further and say, hey, even if you get to 500, that you know, you still probably have to win 88 to 90 games to slide into that third wildcard spot. And that's just the third wildcard spot. I mean, right. So I think the Phillies are there right now. They've got a 541 winning percentage. So that's, you know, 88 to 90 games that you'd have to play at like well over a 650 clip to kind of get to that spot the rest of the way where I'm not sure that the Mets have that in them, even if they do start to play better baseball that's a huge playing at a 650 clip for half a season is a is a huge ass that's really good baseball and if you don't do that you fall short of the playoffs and i i'm not sure where where i stand in it right now i think that i'm not sure how many pieces they really do have to move outside of you know maybe chipping off you know verlander or scherzer but would you rather see them be conservative buyers. I don't. They're they're not going to chip out their farm. I don't think they're going to be a super aggressive team in terms of going for one of the top guys that's going to be available. But would you rather see them you know, just get somewhat of an extra bat, or would you try to get try to see them get some some value for some of their guys right now? I mean, personally, for me, I I think that it's not. It's definitely not probable that they're you know going to suddenly turn around their entire season. You know, like like Evan said, but. I mean, I think uh, I have a little more hope for the Mets than you do, Evan, just because their team on paper, as I've mentioned, is, you know, pretty, pretty good. So um, I think there's a possibility. I don't think it's time to start, you know, um, you know, it's time to start letting go of guys and, you know, at the trade deadline. And uh, it's I don't think it's time to blow it up yet, per se, for the Mets. I think it's it's something where they should let this ride for the rest of the season and hopefully, you know, add something to their team if they can and, um, and see how that pans out. And then if that doesn't work out, then maybe come, you know, come the off season, then, then you start thinking about, okay, like maybe, maybe we should blow it up. Maybe we should um, go in a different direction, but I think definitely for the rest of this season, I think um, with the, with the type of roster they have on paper, I think there's, there's a good chance. And I think there uh, that they, um, there's a good chance that I think that they will ride it out for the rest of the season. I think that's what they should do. I, I don't disagree, but I think this is an interesting crux. I kind of want to throw in here as well, real quick. With the structure of the new playoffs, right, where it's three wildcard teams, and the fact that we've seen a lot of teams that we thought were going to be 
bad or we thought were going to be sellers have really surprising seasons, whether that's Cincinnati. I think San Francisco is a big one where they had pieces that they could have moved, but they're playing too well, I think, to be sellers. That The teams that are going to be sellers for the most part don't have a lot of pieces to ship off, right? Your Kansas Cities, your Detroits, your Oaklands. Who do you really have that's going to be a big moving piece? A lot of those teams have already shipped off a lot of those, those big names. Where if you can be a seller in this market, in, in this season, with all the buyers that are are going to be in contention that I think you get some real, maybe some greater value for some of your pieces, just because I think the, the amount of good talent that's going to get shipped, it's so slim. And there's so many contenders. Like I think if St. Louis decides to sell some of their big names, they can get some big time value back because all these teams are going to be competing for, for the very few, very good players that are going to be available where, Hey, I know Verlander hasn't had the best season and same with Scherzer, but when you're looking at the pitching that's available, if you're deciding between, oh, maybe I'll just take Rich Hill from the Pirates or you can try and get Justin Verlander, hey, you're going to have to compete with 20 other teams that probably want to put themselves in that conversation. That wouldn't be bad for the Mets where maybe you get more return on your investment than you would have gotten otherwise. I think that makes this this discussion a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I think it's definitely a great market this year during this trade deadline for every team in the MLB. And I think you're definitely right, Will, that this team on paper is a very good baseball team. Pretty much the exact same team on paper that bought them to a regular season championship last year. So it's definitely been very odd to see them all struggle. I think that's the main reason why I feel like the Mets don't have too much of a chance of flipping it around because it's not one guy in a slump. It's basically the entire team in a slump. Uh, it's a team of underperforming, somewhat overpaid players at this point, which is why I feel like it's kind of time to start maybe looking at the future. I feel like definitely hiring that um, the baseball ops leader that Steve Cohen was talking about is a big move they have to make soon, uh, especially with their payroll issues. And a lot of their players are a little bit past their prime, maybe to say, or definitely are older age team. So, I mean, maybe looking to move some guys, like you said, Verlander, maybe Scherzer, Starling Marte, I think is a big name that they should look to start moving kind of a guy that's not in that core you know you don't want to move a Jeff McNeil a Lindor and Alonzo your core three guys who who definitely can turn it around and are good baseball players but maybe you know some of these side guys you acquired during the season where you really had hopes you could maybe move for future plans especially needing to reduce that payroll and average age of the team for the future I mean to uh, me one last oh yeah no you yeah go. I was going to say, I feel like the the only way I feel like this would, you know, be the right time to say, you know, blow it up a little bit and start moving guys like Verlander, Scherzer. I think the the only way that I would be like, you know, from if I was a Mets fan, you know, and I, and I was Steve Cohen, I was looking at it from that from that perspective. I think the only way that I would be happy with it is if, you know, it's getting a lot of future young talent, you know, and getting you know, high draft picks and things like that. Then I feel like, okay, like maybe you're going somewhere with it, but I feel like unless you're building for, you know, a, a, a couple of years down the line, at least, you know, two to three to four years down the line, I don't think it's worth it for them to to blow it up. Yeah, my, my fear really is just that if they were to buy and then not make the playoffs, you put yourself in a real tough spot where it kind of feels like this window continues to shrink right with all your aging guys that 
I do believe if this team gets into the playoffs, there's enough talent where they can make it interesting and they can make a run. They have the capability of that. It's just getting into the playoffs where they're at right now. They've put themselves in such a hole that if you if you play aggressive and you miss the playoffs, now you're in a real weird spot. And you know what you said about getting top prospects. Again, I think that's where this market comes in with so many buyers and so few sellers with elite talent to sell that if teams have to compete with each other to get a Verlander or a Scherzer, you might see top prospects go. I think that's where that conversation really gets interesting. Another interesting conversation I do want to bring up, and this was inspired by a Dan Bartels tweet that came out 15 hours ago. Francisco Alvarez hits the game-tying home run, and he's been awesome, right? He's been really one of the – a major bright spot for this Mets team. Dan Bartels threw out a poll 15 hours ago. Who would you rather have, Corbin Carroll of the D-backs or Francisco Alvarez? His, his Twitter followers and has 196 votes, 56% Alvarez, 44% Carroll. Now, I'm a big Corbin Carroll guy. He's a superstar. He's a five-tool player. He's going to be – he's going to run this league in a little bit. I think, first off, it shows how much Mets fans love Alvarez. I think it shows how valuable that type of hitting is at the catcher position. But, man, Mets fans love Alvarez, and I think it shows right there. Am I wrong that that's, like, just a crazy tweet? Oh, hold on. Oh, my computer froze. Um, in a crazy in in kind of which direction? What way? Like Corbin Carroll's really good. Like I like Francis Graver. Corbin Carroll could be the face of baseball in five years. It's not an underestimate. It's not. I don't think that's an overreaction to say that at all. He's a complete five tool player. I think Alvarez is going to be very good. But you have a a lot of Mets fans in the comments saying like Alvarez can be as good as Corbin Carroll. I'm not sure. Like I'm willing to talk out the whole his production at the catcher position, the same way we have that talk with Adley, where it's like, yeah, to get insane offensive value from a catcher compared to the league average, like that's that's incredibly valuable, maybe more valuable than a player that might be better. But I think Corbin Carroll has the potential to be so much better and legitimately one of the best players in baseball for the next 10 to 15 years that in my mind, I think it's a little crazy. I get where Mets fans are coming from, but I just think it's a little crazy. I mean, I, I'm kind of in the middle. I feel like it. The tweet itself is not super crazy. No, Bartel's but... Bartel's asked a great question, and he knows exactly what he's doing. They, I should rephrase that. The response, I think, is a little bit crazy. Yeah. Okay. Then in that case, I would feel like yeah, because I mean, to me, if you're just comparing numbers wise, Corbin Carroll is a lot better than uh, Francisco Alvarez is right now, and I think that you know. Being both of them, you know, pretty young, that that difference I feel like could grow as time goes on. So if I was to take a pick, I would take Corbin Carroll. And I understand if a couple people say Francisco Alvarez, but would you say fifty six percent? Fifty six. I feel like that's a little wild. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely wild. Uh, I feel like the question had to have been asked with the intent to see how wild the responses could be because. I mean, Corbin Carroll, I think, has clearly been the best rookie, uh, true rookie in the MLB. He's going to win rookie of the year. He's, he's the NL's, one of the starting outfielders in the All-Star game. He's been great. Absolutely. But I do think it speaks to the difference in positions. You know, there's a lot better hitters at the center fielder position than there is at the catcher position. So for catchers, yes, Francisco Alvarez. For a baseball player, he's been very exciting, but I don't think it's anywhere near uh, what Corbin Carroll has been. I mean, Corbin Carroll hitting almost 300 at 292 right now. Francisco Alvarez at 221. That's not a great batting average. I understand the powers there. 
he's young he's going to get better but i mean they're they're not really in the same category of rookies at at this point right now i think if alvarez wasn't on the mets he would have a lot less buzz around him and it's harder to have buzz around you as a diamondback even though how good they're doing right now for corbin carroll being a center fielder as well and like don't get me wrong alvarez i think is going to be a great player it looks like he's going to be one of the best catchers in baseball for a really long time I've been so impressed with how his defense and his game calling has come along. Francisco Alvarez is going to be really good. It's but it's it's like you might be comparing him to the next Mike Trout. But uh, all of Francisco Alvarez and a huge hit that I don't know. Maybe it saves the Mets season and they go on a a crazy twenty and three run. We'll see what happens. I I think let's close out let's close out this episode with uh we said All Star Game stuff, All Star Game festivities around the corner, kind of that Monday Tuesday area. Where are you guys at uh, on all this stuff? Because I know me personally, I, I like the Home Run Derby. I watch the Home Run Derby. Not a huge All-Star game guy. Like, I care about who makes the All-Star team. And we can get into that. I don't really know why. But I care a lot about who makes the All-Star team. I rarely watch the game. So I kind of want to take your temperature. And where are we at with All-Star festivities? What do you guys do? To me, I feel like it's – I'm not super excited about either one, um, but I am like, I'm like decently excited. Um, I I would like compare it to like the NBA where it's just like, I feel like all the is now a bore fest. I don't feel like baseball is like that. I feel like there's all, like more competitiveness to it. And I feel like the home run derby is usually um, somewhat exciting. So I feel like um, I, I'm probably going to watch it. Um, I'm not super excited, but I'm probably going to tune in. Um, and then as far as snubs, which I know you briefly mentioned, um, I don't know if we, how many you want each of us to name, but I'm going to say I think Tatis was a was a pretty big snub. Tatis is a big one. I, this, so this goes into the, like, I don't know why I care about all-star selections so much. They're not really a Hall of Fame stat anymore. And, it, again, you only need to have a good three and a half months and – you got a pretty good shot at making the all-star team. But I really care about all-star selections, man. It's been like I love the the whole voting process. I love kind of seeing when fans get crazy and you have like all of Toronto voting for their infield and stuff like that. Yeah, Tatis is a weird one, man, where I think it it hurts that when they show the stats for the ballot, they really only show the offensive stats. I think like right, let's face it, when you're voting for the all-star game, you're voting for offense. Tatis from a war perspective, like fifth best war in the NL and stuff like that. Like he's been crazy good, but his offensive stats isolated compared to some of the other outfielders. I think that ended up hurting him, but I mean, I, so actually I do want to bring this up because I, I, I saw an article yesterday, Ken Rosenthal and I think Manny Machado a little bit too, think that one of the reasons Tatis isn't on the all-star game is uh, a little bit of a punishment for the, the PED suspension that he had and then all that stuff that came out last year Mm, i would uh i don't know i feel like it's definitely a possibility and if it is i don't feel like that's right because the man served his you know he served a suspension and he started he basically served uh the time in which he was supposed to be punished so to keep punishing him i feel like it's just like now you're just beating a dead horse yeah, I don't think I don't think it has to do too much with that. I, I think there are bigger snubs than Tatis, definitely in the entire All Star game. But I feel like because he's such a big name and obviously one of the faces of baseball, people look more towards him not being in the All Star game. But I think there's some bigger names. A name I wanted to bring up was uh, Wander Franco. 
I mean, one of the best players on probably the best team in the MLB, one of the best two teams in the MLB, definitely. He is third in the league in war, third in the league in stolen bases, and has 27 multi-hit games, which is fifth in the American League. Uh, definitely the first or second best player on the Rays, maybe around Randy Rosarena, but a young, flashy player, too. Uh, kind of brings everything to the All-Star game, I feel like you need to have to really make the all-star team. I do understand Bo Bichette and Corey Seager being over him at shortstop with their stats. They just have better hitting stats all in general, although he's definitely a better fielder than Bo Bichette. But I thought there were definitely some infielders on the American League all-star team that Wander Franco should have snuck in over. And he he ended up making it as a as a reserve because of the, the injuries. I think he replaced – I think technically he replaced Judge. Um, but I think it is crazy that he didn't make it just through the normal voting and selection process. I think – you see that a lot where when we talk about the snubs, most of them end up getting in somehow, but it's still like, how did that guy have to get in through the injury loophole rather than just uh, the normal way? I know uh, Yankee fans have been up in arms. Yankees are the best bullpen in baseball. No Yankees reliever got selected. I- I'm kind of like, whatever, like, would it have been cool to see Clay Holmes get selected? Sure. Just though I just, I just know the way that the MLB does relievers where it's like, you only have four for each side that, I'm not heartbroken over Clay Holmes not getting it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this one for my roommate Eli Keel, a huge Pirates fan. I'm gonna try and throw some love to Jack Sawinski. Uh, I think if you look at his stats, one of the better outfielders in the NL. I think he has the fifth best OPS in the NL. And the reason I wanted to bring this up, up is yes, there's a little bit of a gap between a small gap between him and like Soto, Carroll, Acuna, but Cassianos makes it right, and Sawinski's stats are better. And I get Cassianos is the only representative for Philly and you have to have a representative for each team. That's a whole nother conversation. I don't think we have time to get into that, but you look at Swinsky's stats. I know that the pirate season ended up dropping off a little bit in terms of how well they've been doing, but I want to give some love to Jack Swinsky. I will say I am. I think I am going back to the the other stuff. I'm looking forward to the home run derby. Uh, And that's when I usually look forward to a little bit more. I completely forgot last year's home run derby. Uh, I forgot that Soto won. Completely wiped it from my memory. I want to talk a little bit about Pete Alonso and how we feel about him being in. Because I've, I've seen a lot of comments that are like, people are tired of Alonso being in the home run derby. I think my take is watching people hit home runs, it's cool. It's going to get boring after a little bit, right? We're going to see over 200 home runs in the home run derby. Eventually, you kind of need storylines and stuff like that to play into this, you know, Will, you're a wrestling guy, you know, sometimes you need a heel, right? You need something to make this, this entire thing interesting and compelling where I think Pete Alonso can be the heel in this story, right? Where a lot of people kind of hate the way he does the home run derby because he takes it so seriously. But I kind of like going in knowing I have someone that I'm actively rooting against. I I don't want Pete Alonso winning the home run derby. I'll probably cheer very hard for Adley Rutschman because I'm kind of excited to see him, but I like having someone in this contest that I'm like absolutely going to despise. It's awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I like that. You know, th- there's, you know, there there's two different types of. It. I feel like there's there's a type where it's like Kevin Durant going to the Warriors type thing, which is just like a little too much. And then there's some like Pete Alonso being in the home run derby, which I feel like, you know, what I'm saying like it's not, you know. Um, it's not like it's undeserved, you know what I mean? I feel like he, he's great at the home run derby. He's a two-time champ. Like he, he's awesome, man. Yeah, and I feel like you know you shouldn't be punishing guys just because, um, you know they're good and you know they're showing up again. I get the the desire to see somebody else win, but at the same time, it's like 
you know, for example, somebody's the best player, you know, even if they won MVP four times already, they should win it again because they're still the best player. And I think that this is like kind of the same thing. Like he's good enough, so he should be in there. And I, I don't understand, you know, the outcry over why he's in there. No, yeah, I love seeing Pete Alonzo in the home run derby. I love the antics he brings. I loved the deadlifting in the, the locker room before coming out, the praying in the locker room. I feel like he's one of the only guys who really takes it as serious as he can. You know, it seems to be his World Series, but I love watching it. I love having seeing other guys, you know, go up there I, like they're there for fun. They're there to see how they can do. And Pete Alonzo is really there to win the whole thing. And I like the competitiveness he brings to it. Uh, my pick for this year is Julio Rodriguez. I know last year he was the runner-up back in it again this year. It seemed like he, like, expanded his energy. He was destroying the guys he played in the first couple of rounds by double-digit home runs, hitting almost too many home runs in the first couple of rounds to uh, beat Juan Soto in the end. But I think this year he'll, he'll be able to take it. It's a, it's a good first matchup. I think it's it's Alonzo versus Julio. And that would be – I'm pretty – right, he beat, he beat Alonzo last year, so – that's a fun little rematch. I'm pulling for Adley. Uh, if you've ever watched like clips of Adley hitting BP, he can rake. He's got some power. I'm curious to see. I think he said he's going to hit from both sides, right? He's a switch hitter. So I think we might see that would be cool if he switches like in the middle of a round. I, I think he said he might do that for the showmanship aspect of it. So I'm looking forward to watching Adley hit. I think that will wrap it up for us. Yankees, one more game in Baltimore, and then they they close out right before All-Star break with Chicago. i go for the Mets. They'll look to sweep Arizona today, and then they got a three-gamer against San Diego. All-Star festivities, and then we come back second half of the season. Uh, until then, right, we'll be back right, right, right back with you. For Evan Harkin, Will Jing, I'm Lou Orlando. This Nosebreeds episode has been a production of WFUG Sports. <laughs>